Coach, defense is important, but a team also has to score to win. You can have the best defense in the world, but without an offense to match, you won't be winning any championships. Just have a look at what happened during March Madness this year. Three out of four teams that made it to the Final Four on both the women's and men's side were the top three offensive-ranked teams. That's no coincidence. The reality is most coaches will win more games with a 15% improvement on offense. But how? We're bringing in one of the greatest offensive minds in the game and Read and React creator, Coach Rick Torbett, to help answer that question. On May 9th, Rick and I will kick off our four-week offensive strategies track where we will teach coaches how to score 7 to 10 more points per game. Just head to pgccoaching.com forward slash tracks to learn more. Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. We believe competitiveness is a skill, and this week Sam and TJ discuss the difference between playing and competing and popular misconceptions so we can better develop it and teach it in our programs. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Harwood Hustle. Sam and TJ here with you today, and we're going to talk about playing versus competing. TJ, I love the topic of competing. And I think this is an important one that I'm excited to see where we go with it. And I tweeted this out uh, a couple days ago about the difference in playing and versus competing. I've been going recently to some high school games, watching some college games. And to me, it's very evident when I watch a game, there's a lot of players that just play. And very few really compete. And we'll unpack what that really means in your definition, my definition of what competing means. And and when I watch games, TJ, there's usually like one or two, maybe three players that are like really locked in on the competing. And most players are just out there playing. Let me get your opening thoughts on this. Yeah, I think it's really interesting one. You know, I we have a lot of players we come – have come up work out for us as we're trying to see, you know, is it somebody we want to recruit, somebody we would sign. And, um, you know, I definitely over the years have seen a change in, in a few things. One is just one, the number of people that go inside the three point line. I think there's just so many players we see that just kind of hang out outside the three point line and they make some shots. They think they're going to get recruited is, is, is uh, maybe a prevailing thought for them. When in reality, like, I do think most coaches are looking for what you're talking about here. And it's, hey, you know, whether what the word is, we're looking for a dog. We're looking for a competitor. We're looking for whatever it is. I, I do think coaches really value that. And the reason I think they value it is because of what you're speaking to right here is it's not the easiest thing to find. You know, there's not a lot of separation. If we bring in 20 or 30 players and they're going through workouts, you know, very seldom do more than three or four players separate themselves on their ability to compete. Now, some people celebrate separate themselves on size or shooting or something like that. But um, it's not often that the, the competitiveness, it's easy to just see the separation there. And I think that would be a green light for a lot of coaches when you see a player that competes at a higher level. No doubt. And I think, you know, for any team that I coach, that's a that's a main core value. That's a pillar of who we want to be. And so it's something we talk about every day. I think also, as we talk about this, TJ, I think you also got to talk about what competing isn't. And in today's culture where we do have real time information coming at us through our phone, I think a lot of kids get confused on what competing means, you know, 
competing to me is not making a big play, a positive play and showing emotion. That's okay. That that's a that can be a really good thing that brings emotion to your team. But I think a lot of players think that when they make a positive play, particularly on offense, and they show emotion, that they're a competitor or the coaches would call a dog. And I would argue that they're not mutually exclusive, but no, it's not always the case. Like you, you making a big play and doing that doesn't make you a competitor. It just makes you a guy who showed some emotion after a play competing to me, TJ is when I'm watching a game, whether I'm a spectator or a coach and I'm watching players what are they locked in on defense? Are they like down in a stance? Are they talking? Are they moving? Are they seeing everything? Are they anticipating or are they, or are they just standing there in the, in the gap or in the help position or they're down a stance and they're pretending to guard the ball? Like there's a big difference and it's a subtle difference. And if you don't have an eye for it, you wouldn't even recognize most, most fans wouldn't recognize it. Do you consistently you know, go make contact or box out your man rebounding. If you're supposed to crash the glass on offense, do you do it every time? On on offense, are you competing for the best shot possible? Are you competing to make a set a great screen? Are you competing to come off a screen, right? Are you competing to make good passes? Like there's so much when you're on the bench, are you locked in? Are you are you locked into the team and what's going on and commute like there's just so many components and very few players do this and I think it's a difference in great teams and average teams and a lot of teams are made up of players that are just kind of out there playing and I don't think you're going to be a consistent championship level team if you have a lot of players just playing and not competing yeah. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of coaches right now are amening and because but got to be careful. I mean, you know, misery loves company where it's just like, man, I don't like this. Players don't do this. Anything. I think that what can coaches take away from this? Like, what's the important thing that you're trying to figure out is, you know, at the root of this is how do I get my players to do that? And and as a coach, you are somewhat responsible for fostering that environment and building players into that type of player. And look, I know from firsthand experience that it's a full-time job to, to make that happen. And so I think this starts with understanding why it's maybe not the case anymore and why is it not kind of the norm. And I do think there's a lot of societal things that play into that and understandably so. I mean, I, I think, you know, it was the NBA all-star game just recently happened and, um, you know, Larry Bird, they were interviewing him for the game. And he's like, I'd really love to see these guys get out there and compete. I mean, when the best players in the world come together to play, I mean, it would be awesome to see them compete. Did it? And like a lot of people were kind of joking about the tweet, like, is he lost his mind? Like nobody's fixing to play hard. You know what I mean? They're, they're just about to shoot half court shots and they're, and you know, it, but he actually really wanted them to play hard. And I think um, that, idea and the MA all-star game used to be like that you know and I think it's kind of the end of that era was kind of Kobe that level of just kind of competitiveness going out there to win he was kind of like the last one where you saw him talk about competing in those games and I'm not saying the NBA all-star game needs to be competitive or whatever but that's the example that young players are seeing and that's what they're hearing and and that's what they're thinking and I think also you know just Social media, I mean, the idea of being embarrassed, I think, is something we have to help our players get over. Um, you know, I, I tell my players all the time, like, if you haven't been crossed over, crossed up, or you haven't been dunked on, you just haven't played enough basketball. Uh, but that's 
that's a that's just what I would say. I know they live in a different reality where they're trying not to get embarrassed. They're trying not to make those mistakes. I mean, very seldom do they just put aside at that age their peers and what their peers think and and what they've you know deemed to be cool or whatever. So they are fighting some uphill battles and some things they have to get over to be a, a full time competitor. And I do think as a coach, we can help them in that, and we have to work through a lot of things to get to that place. What I hear a lot of coaches is either they're born or not. Like they either have it or they don't. And I do think there is some coaching that can actually um, get players that may be not born with it, quote unquote, uh, to be able to really compete at a higher level. Don Myers said many years ago, I think we even heard him talk about this at a clinic that you and I were at, you and I were at a long time ago is practice like you lost your last game as a coach. Like, do you go into practice like you lost your last game? Are you are we are we driving to compete in every drill and everything we're doing in practice? And again, I think some coaches wait till they lose the game and then they come in with fire and want their guys or girls to compete at a high level. When to your point earlier, TJ, it's something you gotta demand, something you gotta expect, something you gotta coach and teach every day and what you're doing. There's a reason why I'm just what comes to my mind, like a, a University of Houston are so competitive on defense. Why, you know, Kelvin Sampson's transformed that program. He demands it. There's a reason why Tom Izzo has been to, I guess, the most consecutive NCAA tournaments and his teams are known for toughness, TJ. Tom Izzo's co- recruiting other guys, the same guys everybody else is, but he's demanding a toughness and a competitiveness. You know, your teams historically compete really well, play well together. Why is that? It's not like you're recruit. Yeah, you do recruit some different, but it's something you're coaching and teaching. So back to your point here, this is not a you're born with it or you're not. Are there kids out there currently that, that the way they grew up or intrinsically they, they have more innate competitiveness? Yes. I am I am a younger brother, TJ, and so I was always on court, always out um, on the street or playing football with older kids. So I I think I had to learn that more than maybe an older sibling might. So yeah, there is like some some nature stuff, some nurture stuff there that that developed it. But I think the point I want to make here is this is something you can coach. It's something you can teach. And it's something you can bring out in your players. Yeah, I agree. Here, I would add something though a little bit different to that. That um, this the art of coaching here, and so I don't think that Calvin Sampson could go to the you know I'm just throwing out a team, the Los Angeles Lakers, and go in there and be like, this is how we're going to do. This is the standard. This I, I think there's I, I think that there's a lot of people that would balk at that. You know what I mean? And I'm saying there's certain high schools that he could go into and demand that. And there's players that would balk at it and not do it. And, you know, I don't think that it's just going to happen because Calvin Sampson, I think what most really good ones do is they figure out what is the right amount of push, pull, celebration, you know, like getting, you know, belief in self. Like, I I think there's a mix to that. I don't think it's just like I, I think there's people out there, truthfully, that are more demanding than Calvin Sampson that are falling on their face because of the way they demand it, the way they ask for it, the way that, you know, that, that balance is not, you know, the right, I, I really do. I believe there's probably 50 coaches in division one that are more demanding 
than Calvin Sampson that get less out of their players. And so I think there's more to it than just being demanding. I think the way you go about that, the way you go about painting the picture, the way you – Sorry to interrupt there. So hold on on that piece. So when you're saying more demanding, because I think this is an important distinction – when you say more, de- are, you mean like they they yell more, they bring more like passionate coaching because like there's an element to maybe. And again, we're, we're not in their practices, but Kelvin Sampson's demanding consistently every day. It's just a different type of demand. So what are you saying? Like define that demanding piece, you mean? Well, I think demanding would be like calling for it every second. Like, I think there's people that are calling for it more like play harder, go, you know, than Calvin Sampson. I think one of the things he might not get credit for. And I, I mean, I do know this, I have seen a practice before and I have recently had a, a former player that spent a week or so up there at Houston with them. And I think one thing he doesn't get enough credit for is his, his teaching ability, teaching them how to play hard you know, teaching them like what it looks like teaching, you know, and so just because the coach goes out there and demands it, but you know, there, I, what I think that he also does is teach it. I think he also gets buy-in. I think he also get in. So when I'm saying demanding, I guess it's the amount of times you ask for it, you know, like, you know, there's certain coaches that are asking for every play, every time that's not hard enough. That's not whatever that, so they're continually asking, I'm demanding, I want, I want, I want it. But I, I really think that Calvin Sampson is a good example because I do think his team probably leads the country in playing hard. You know, there's, um, you know, a couple other teams up there that, that do the same. There's a lot of teams that play really hard. I mean, he, and he's got some really good players, but I do think he also does a good job of teaching that and getting players to buy into that vision, not just demanding it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. To be really clear, I I think it's not you yelling at a player every time they they didn't bring the competitiveness you wanted. I was talking with a high school coach over the weekend who took over a program and he was talking about in the preseason, their main focus was everything was a competition. So shooting drills or, or conditioning or one-on-one or five-on-five, everything they wanted guys to really value competing. And he's turned this program. I think they've had like a plus 14 and win from, you know, was essentially the same players. He's a first-year coach. And so to your point, it's not just the coach demanding it every single – it's creating an environment where it is taught, where it's expected um, – and yeah, that I think you're right on, which is the art of coaching. And if you if you demand like anything as a coach or a teacher, if you if you got too much challenge with not enough celebration, then it's going to fall on deaf ears eventually because, you know, kids may get tired of hearing it. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think that the, the goal of a coach is not to get them to do what you want but to want them to want what you want. And so, you know, I think as a coach, like, do you want to win and play hard and be a great team? Like I want to do it and I want it for you. But a lot of times coaches, I think, you know, they carry that burden, you know, that, you know, we try and get them to this certain place via extrinsic motivation. And we want them to do the things that we want for them. I think really good coaches and special coaches are able to get inside the heart of a player and actually, get them to want what you actually want 
not just to do it because you're demanding it of them. And I do think that that is a lot of work to get players to see that vision, to buy into that. But those are where I see those teams where there's, they're not faking it. You know, I see some teams where I think they're faking it, like coaches, you know, I'm playing hard because I have to. I'm playing hard because I don't want to come out. I'm playing hard because whatever. And then there's those other ones out there that are like, hey, look, my players, they want it just the same way I want. And I think that's really special when a coach can get his players to intrinsically feel that way. Yeah, and I I think the why matters here. If the more we can communicate why competing matters. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll talk about with players, you know, with us, like three core values being give your best effort. That's like competing to be a great teammate. And three is humility and being coachable. Well, TJ, number two, being a great teammate. It starts with number one. If me and you are teammates, TJ, and I'm not giving my best competitive effort, I'm not being the best teammate to you. And I think you got to tie it in there because it's it's more than just like, hey, Coach Rosine's yelling at me to run, sprint back in transition. So I'm going to run back because I don't want to team him to yell at me. Well, if – if Chris is running, sprinting back in transition because he doesn't want to disappoint KJ, now that's a different that's a different connection there. Now he doesn't want to let down his guy, his boy, his teammate, you know, his, that girl. And so, I think the more coaches we can tie in the importance of competing for the team, and that that's being a great teammate um, is your competitive effort. I think. I think that has longer standing power, longer, let me say again, longer sustainable power than just I'm going to compete because the coach, if I don't, the coach will yell at me. <laughs> Those are two different scenarios. Yeah, they're, they're definitely different levels. You know, the I, you know, I compete hard because I have to, I think is a level. I, I compete hard because I want to is another level. And I compete hard because I care deeply is another level. I care about my game. I care about my teammates. I care about like, you know, and I think those are all like different ways. I've seen some players that play hard because that's what there's a, they're hoping for, you know, some gold at the end of the rainbow. I've seen some players play hard because their coach just won't let them do it any other way. And I've seen some players do it because they wanted to intrinsically individually be great. And I've seen some players do it because they genuinely just cared about winning and the success of the team and their teammates. And I know I, I think we all have different motivations. I think everybody goes in and um, I think the special ones obviously do it because they just genuinely care about winning and they care about teammates. But I do think a coach has a lot to do with that, developing young people into like that level of care. And I also think it's a lot of hard work. And that's why people, you know, kind of shy away from it. And I think there's stages to it. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of times it's like, look, can you first just take pride in your own work ethic, your game, your, your, your commitment? I think that's part of it. And then, you know, can you care more deeply for your teammate than you actually care for yourself? That's another in, you know, intrinsic inside work that has to be done. Um, I really love Mono's like preseason retreat that we have in our PDC coaching. One of the things where it's like, and I love it because it's a culture thing, but I also think it is, is just deciding on the standard as a team. And like, what do we want to to be like? What do we want this to look like? And 
then you can hold the players to that standard. And that is the, the beginning of creating a vision for me of like, all right, we want to be a hard playing, you know, the, the most competitive team in the league or the conference or the state or whatever it is. Okay. What does that look like? And what are we committed to, to do that? And then there becomes a standard that you work for every day as a coach. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mana's preseason culture is great. Let, let me ask you this TJ, cause here's, you and I have coached players like this. I'm going to use a recent example. So like Dame Lillard, you know, and we love, we love Dame and we've had Phil who trains him and um, on the podcast and Dame's one of the better leaders in the NBA. But I saw something during the all-star game where an NBA, a well-respected NBA commentator said something like Dame's a stone cold killer. He, you know, he comes in and just he's about that business and competing. TJ, here's my question, though. But if a if a player is, you know, knocking down shots and they're making tough shots and doing this and, and I hear it often, here's what is associated with that. Or they like make a, a really nice play. Commentators, coaches, people in the game will say he's a killer or he's a competitor. Yet I watch him go back on defense. Not I'm not talking about Dame necessarily, although we could, but I don't see the the same that all they did, they're a skilled player who's worked a lot on their game. And there's something to be said for the work ethic they have. And I think that's great. Like they show a level of commitment. That doesn't make them, however, a great competitor on both the, the game of basketball is both ends. It's not football. I don't play wide receiver and then go sit on the bench during defense. I don't play linebacker and then go sit when the offense has the ball. In basketball, competitors play both ends, and there's just a lot more to it. And I think that the, what I'm getting at, the myth that goes right now with the game of basketball is an elite offensive playmaker gets often called a dog and a killer and a competitor. And I sometimes think, no, they're just an elite skilled player. So let's not call them a dog or a killer competitor if they're not playing both ends. And I think that that's a pretty common, what I would call a pretty common myth in today's game. Yeah. And I, and I think that's on the commentator, not necessarily on the player. You know what I mean? I think that we're feeding that narrative a lot in social media and we're feeding that narrative on, you know, on TV or whatever it might be. And when I think about like some of those guys like Steph Curry or Trey Young or Dame Lillard, who I don't know that they're necessarily the best defenders in the league, but they've obviously put a lot of work into their craft. They put a lot of time in to be really good at what they are and what they do, um, but may not always be the best example on the other end of the floor, you know, and but the reality is that, you know, that's what young players see all the time. And I, and I honestly, like, I'm, I'm going to, I used to feel differently by this. I would cut the NBA some slack. I mean, none of us know what it's like to play 82 games and travel every day and go around, you know what I mean? And then play in the playoffs and whatever. I, I, I Maybe it's unfair to hold them to that. And they're also in the entertainment business where, I mean, if you go to an NBA game, they're doing everything they can to entertain you, to make it fun, to make it exciting. Like it, it is the standard because it's the NBA. I'm just not sure it should be the standard. But it's what's become the standard, and and I don't think we fully understand their world all of the way, um, and what what that means 
but and I'm not giving them a pass either because they're getting paid a lot of money to go play basketball and go play it hard. Um, but we definitely have a trickle down society where we're watching the highest level and we're drawing from that. And even Adam Silver at the NBA, you know, thing addressed this a little bit. I don't know if it's all to competitiveness, but, you know, 30 percent of the NBA is now, um, you know, foreign players. And there's obviously something going. This is another episode, but there's something not going right in the youth development world. And I think a part of that is just the way we sensationalize basketball versus actually just teach it and play it and play it hard where there's such a, um, you know, just this whole, you know, the star buildup. And so I do think there are some things that feed that that narrative a little bit. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, that'll have to be another episode. I, I think you're right on the NBA. It's not the NBA is not an apples to apples comparison to the to other you know college or high school. It's not. It, it's a different business. I mean, a good example of that is Sam. Like everybody wants to be Steph Curry because he makes these long deep threes, right? But these kids haven't put in the same work Steph Curry put in to be able to take those long, deep threes, you know? And I think that applies in a lot of the areas of basketball. You know, like, we all want the glory and the praise of doing these certain things because that's what gets praised versus we all know that if you've ever been on a really winning team, a special culture, there's some players that are not getting the praise that were actually directly, you know, relating to you actually being a successful team. And so, yeah, I think calling that out of players, helping them to understand why the other stuff is important, not just the other, not just the scores and stuff like that. Yeah, that ties into what I was going to say next. It, it That goes along with players expect and families or parents or they, they are expecting something they haven't earned. And the position I'm in, TJ, oftentimes if I'm working with a kid, training them or um, even in a travel ball setting, it's, it's interesting because I wear a few different hats. But what I hear a lot from parents, if if a kid's not playing as much as they think he should or has the role, my first question would be to the player and to the parent would be, are you competing at your very, very best? Are you bringing it every single day? And if the answer is no, then everything else is off the table. But that's not where most people want to start. They want to start. It's not fair. Coach doesn't believe in me. That may be that could be true too. But if you're not if you're not taking care of your own house with your competitive effort, then to me, like we, we can't have the other parts of the conversation. And so it's expecting something that we haven't worked for and earned. And it starts with the competitive output you put out there in practice and games. Yeah. I've got, you know, here's my final thought for you, Sam. It's like from a player standpoint, you know, I think probably people have told them this all their life, but they're also seeing something different and it's being messaged different in different places. But, you know, the one thing that nobody can take away from you is what you actually gave. There's there's a there's a full cup, 100%. And whatever you gave to that experience, and I don't care what it is, you know, basketball is what we're talking about here, but did I give it 100%? Did I give it 90? Did I give it 80? Did I get, you know, that is really what you should be judged on. Did I go after it to that level? And, and I sometimes, look, it, there's, there's times when I understand, like, if a player goes, well, I give it 60% because I give my, some of my time to baseball, some of my time to whatever. I get it. I get it. But what do you give, you know, as a whole to your basketball career? And then also, more importantly, whether you're playing another sport or you're doing whatever, what do you give to that every single day? Like, what, what if I have 100% today, 
And that's the, the most competitive I could possibly be. Everything I brought, did I give 60? Did I give 70? Did I give 80? Like that's what you're judging yourself on every day. And as a coach, you flip that over and it's like, all right, what's my ability to get 100 out of these players every single day? And it's not a 100% like just, I don't even think it's just effort. Like, am I getting them to focus? Am I getting them to care? Am I getting them to lock in? Because all those things holistically make for a smarter, harder, better playing player. And I think that you're going to have a lot of days in coaching when you're frustrated because it's hard to get 100 out of players every single day, uh, 90, even 80. There's a lot of days you're going to be frustrated. But can you chip away every day? And if that player consistently pours out 70 or 75, can you get them to pour out 80? And when they get to 80, can you get them to pour out 85? When they get to 85, can you get them to pour out 90? Can you level up every player to a place of where they pour out more of themselves than they actually take in? And I think it's a hard thing to accomplish. But if you can get your players to start thinking that way and actually doing it, you're going to have achieved something special, not just in the short term, but in the long term for them where they learn how to give 100% of what they got. Yeah, great points. And I, I would – I would have some final thoughts here on this, which is when we're talking about competing coaches that are listening, do you understand why it matters? Do you personally as a coach and a leader understand why it matters so much? If you don't, then obviously maybe you didn't even make it to this point in the episode. But if you if you believe it to be true, believe it deep to your core on why it matters. We gave you some example. It matters because it's part of being a great teammate. It's part of creating a special team environment. So I think first there, start there. Why? And then is that communicated clearly to your players? Then you get into the what. Well, what what does competing really mean? Have you defined it? What's it look like in practice? What's it look like in games? What's it look like in your pregame prep? What's it look like in your sleep habits the night before? What's it look like in your nutrition, the way you get in the weight room? Like it, it goes across many. What's it what's it look like in the film room? What's it look like as a leader and a teammate off the court and, and competitors are have a, have a pulse of the team. They reach out to the teammates. They, they text them. They might take them to lunch, whatever it is. There's like many components here to competing. Okay. So once you know why, then you define what it is, then on a, how do you bring it to life? We'll create competitive environments in practice. That doesn't mean if you've got five practice a week, TJ, you may not have five intense competitive practices. You might, but you might have, uh, uh, three of those days are intensely competitive, but bring it out in, into your practices and make things competitive. And then maybe the last component here is celebrate it when it happens, put it on a pedestal right then during practice, after practice, pre-practice, all, you know, celebrate it when it happens it and coach it when it doesn't and then repeat that cycle why what it is so why it matters define it every day celebrate it coach it and i think when you repeat the that formula on a consistent basis i think you're going to have more competitive players and more competitive teams yeah um, i'd say another thing model it too i mean they, they can sense your level of preparation, your your level of energy, your level of care, you know what I mean? Your level of competitiveness. And so I think modeling, it's also really important for the, for the players to see that in you. So competing versus playing hard. Let us know your thoughts. We appreciate you listening to us. Hit us up on Twitter, on social media. 
give us a follow. We really appreciate it if you find value in what we're doing and uh, hitting that follow button, dropping a review for us. All that matters. And uh, we appreciate you listening for TJ and I am Sam. We are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We also want to make sure you know about our coaching resources and freebies available to you at pgchustle.com. We have a workshop, a Reading React masterclass, and effective practice planning tips to help you enhance your coaching. Get started at pgchustle.com. From the Hardwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.